0: Welcome to Pink Girl Podcast. I'm Alicia Clayton, your host. This is a podcast about women's stories and all things girl power. Hi, and welcome to the episode. I'm so excited to have my good friend, Jean Marie Place with us. Thanks, Jean.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. It's fun to be here.
0: It is great to have you. Um, I explained to Jean, you know, this podcast is all about sharing women's stories and mom's stories. And um, Jean, you are like such an amazing person with such a plethora of knowledge. I had to have you on here. So why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself and your background?
1: Sure. Mm. Well it is fun to be here. I was excited about it. I was telling Obed, my husband, I said I get to be interviewed on this podcast. And so
0: <laughs> that's I, awesome. Um, yeah. Is this your first interview? Your first my podcast? First yes. Friend, I got to be your first podcaster. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel
0: privileged.
1: <laughs> Yes, I'm excited to be here, and I am in Indiana, and I am a professor, so I'm a, an associate professor of, I call it women's health. The broader field is public health and health science and health promotion, but I specialize in women's health issues, and I'm awesome. a mom of two little girls, a three-year-old and a four-year-old.
0: Awesome, love that. Well, and um, we started our journey together at um, Rick's College. We were roommates, and I was fortunate enough to be, like, to be placed in your apartment because I learned so much from you and laughed so hard.
1: (laughs) Those were some fun days. I mean, was it, like, 20 years ago? I mean, almost 20 years ago. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Well,
0: and I remember, like, you had, like, the best scrapbook. You had like these <laughs> thick scrapbooks that were so fun to look through about like growing up and your teenage years, yeah. and like you kept meticulous scrapbooks.
1: I know. You I, still did, I still do that. I do now. It's like all digitalized. Yes, friend. I still do, like my handwritten journals, and my dad, who is storing all of those scrapbooks back in the garage in Centerville. Said to me the other day, like, "What do you want me to do with all of these scrapbooks and all of these journals?" And I said, "Well, you can't throw them away. No. You know they're." And he he said something that made me laugh. He said, "Gene, you have the most well-documented life of anyone." <laughs> this is so awesome. <laughs> Put that on your resume.
0: Put that on your <laughs> most well-documented life
1: Because all of mine. Scrapbooks, my journals. I was like, "Who is ever going to read this?" I don't oh, think going
0: to read this. I will read them because I loved reading them in college. <laughs> so uh, the other thing I remember about you is like you were and are. A gifted storyteller,
1: um, like were you
0: on the debate team or yeah, okay, okay, that's... and I remember you'd practice some of your speeches with us roommates, and we would just like on <laughs> encore and we would beg you to do them <laughs> over and again, like you change voices,
1: <laughs> you would get
0: you were so enthusiastic. <laughs>
1: But can you believe, can you believe, like, I was, I was the lucky one. I had such wonderful, supportive people. I mean, it's like a very odd talent, right? Like, it's sort of pretty nerdy. It's very- <laughs> I had such wonderful roommates. Like, you would circle around me and make me feel so good. Oh, well,
0: we were the blessed ones. I feel like you just had, you have so many skills. Like, it's hard for me to summarize like who mm. you are I mean you've done mm. public health you've done research you've taught you've done you know mm. social work and debate mm. and anthropology <laughs> and there's just so much and I remember and I, I think you were always a writer do you feel like you've always been a writer to some degree yeah I
1: love writing do I love writing it, I like the writing that I do now I feel like is so dry you know it's like writing research articles or like we were talking about like grant proposals Grants, yeah. I feel like it's really dry but I'm right I'm writing a book right now and oh it's my a, gosh it's, yeah it's fun it's a fun project where so textbooks you know are so boring right you know. <laughs> <laughs> and no one reads them you know right. And and I've been um, thinking that we need to write a textbook for public health that is far more colorful, like that tells stories of public health professionals who tell the ups and the downs of their programs, what works, where they cut corners, where they don't, the failures of their programs and the ones that are successful, like to really hear about it because because I teach these public health classes, and if they're not reading the textbook, and they're too young to have really much experience doing any sort of public health, sure, they could graduate without really a good grasp of what it's like in our field. And I yes. felt like if we can provide a textbook to tell those stories, that's more engaging. So hopefully they'll read the textbook because it's written more journalistically or with more creativity like writing textbook in a first in first au- first person first we're writing person. um first person and and we just so so the whole objective I had myself and two co-authors so we go to public health programs so we go to support groups we go to oh, wow. awareness campaigns we go to um Uh, coalition building meetings, kind of all the different components of public health, and then we come back and we um, do interviews with those people who are on the ground doing this kind of work, and then we write it up in this descriptive fashion, and so we write up the fun narratives about these events, and then we insert into the text vocabulary words, and information that students need to know but it's all contextualized in this wider hopefully more fun story so i believe yes i love writing and it's been fun to do something i love
0: this you another thing you're skilled at girl you're just like a plethora of goodness and wisdom
1: oh you are too alicia you're so nice
0: well and i love to um that, you know, we were talking earlier, like, if you could hone down, like, what's your main specialty, because you have so many, you know, we were talking about your studies in infertility, so maybe talk a little bit about, like, what led you to that, and what, what, why do you feel like that's an area you love to research?
1: Oh, right, so, okay, so I care about infertility, because I don't think that we talk about it very much, and I think if you talk to, Uh, like if you say the words women's health to a lot of women I wonder what people would say my guess is that people would say things like uh breast cancer or they would maybe say things like prenatal care or pregnancy or giving birth or uh, menopause like Mm -hmm. they're going to talk about those sort of things but I feel like infertility isn't conceptualized as a part of women's health even though 11 percent of yeah exactly 11 percent of Um, like coupled uh, women are going to experience it in their lifetime that's more than one in ten and um and so I wanted to like talk about it more and one study that I've done in this field that I care a lot about is assessing if researchers are even researching infertility so what we did is we took um, the top four journals in women's health, the top four scientific journals, and we looked through their archives of all of the articles that they have published in the past 15 years. Oh, wow. And we classified them. What are the topics of these different articles? And as we imagined, they're talking about breast cancer, or they're talking about birth control, or they're talking about uh, delivery and, and prenatal care, but only less than 1% of the articles in the past 15 years of scientific women's health journals talked about infertility. Oh my
0: gosh, that's ridiculously low.
1: Yeah, when you compare it that, you know, 11% of women are going to experience infertility in their lifetime, and less than 1% of scientific journal articles in women's health journals are addressing that, it's really a big discrepancy. And of course, the argument is that Um, the infertility articles are going to be published probably in reproductive health journals, like more specialized Mm. assistive reproductive technology journals. But my argument when we went to publish is, well, sure, those people already know about infertility, right? They're specializing in it for their their careers. But for the broad audience of practitioners who are practicing women's health, to not include infertility as a as a dominant theme in these women's health journals that are for a generalist audience is a real gap. That's a disservice for sure. Right. right. So anyway,
0: well, I love
1: studying. Love that.
0: So tell me about, um, your, your own j- journey a little bit with, with infertility. Cause I know that's something that you've w- dealt with and, um, we've talked about that you're, You know, I'm really grateful you're willing to share this because I'm hoping other women listening who are struggling with infertility can feel supported and maybe find some resources.
1: Thanks. Thanks, Alicia. Well, I'm happy to talk about it. So I got married when I was 31, and we immediately wanted, well, I probably immediately wanted to have children, and Obed was kind of like, well, I guess... (laughs) Anyway, we immediately started trying and never in eight years of marriage, seven or eight years of marriage, have ever had a positive pregnancy test, never like had a, you know, those two little lines on a pregnancy test. And we tried all sorts of things. Like we tried doing uh, assistive reproductive technology. So kind of like IVF, Uh, I should say that we never actually went through with the procedure, but we talked with several specialists about doing it. And then we tried to take medicine, uh, a whole host of different medicines to try to resolve it. And I mean, a lot of the procedures, I'm sure Obed wouldn't want to talk about it because Mm. it uncomfortable to talk about. You're having to talk about your sex life and you're having to talk about sperm count and you're having to talk about, you know, reproductive organs and kind of, are you a woman woman, if you're not able to do a womanly thing? Things like that, like hard topics to address. But we never did, went through with these different procedures and I'm glad that we did it. I feel like my journey might differ from some because I've never experienced like the intense disappointment of having done one of those procedures and it not having worked out, you know, because not only is there intense disappointment because you so badly, badly went to child and you're putting all of your sort of hypothetical eggs in this basket that it's out, but it's not without a cost, like a heavy financial cost. I mean, for the procedure itself, you're probably looking at ten to $12,000. And then oh you're gosh. having to pay for the, your own uh, stimulation drugs, you know, the drugs that are going to stimulate your cycle <clears throat> and produce these eggs that, you know, can be inseminated and, and transferred. And so that's maybe another $5,000. So you're at minimum probably looking at Fifteen to $20,000 a cycle. Oh my gosh. Now, of course, I'm talking with <laughs> prices from a few years ago, so I'm not current on them. The prices may have changed, and some physicians <clears throat> offer some packages where you're able to pay $20,000, and then you get three chances mm. at it. But, You know, nevertheless, you are having to spend a lot of money, and I'm, and I'm glad that Obed and I never had to spend that kind of, Money to do it, but um, one statistic that I share when we talk about infertility with our our students is that if you try one cycle of IVF with fresh gametes, so fresh sperm and fresh eggs, yeah, and depending on your age, you have roughly. Maybe a twenty-five percent chance of bringing home a live baby, and as you age, if you are forty or over, it's like a less than one percent chance of bringing home a live oh my gosh.
0: baby. Jean, that is heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking.
1: Not great statistics, right? Like not great odds. But if you um, do three cycles, so and the WHO recommends that couples who are going to try this route try at least three times because. Oh, okay. Then is increased to fifty percent, um, but even so, you, then you times that cost by three times, and you can, and and you still only have a fifty percent chance, even with that third cycle. So it can be really tough. It can be tough, but of course, the joy if you do um, get lucky and and are able to bring home a live birth is certainly well worth it. But sure. it's getting there. there. Of never having gone through it and, mm-hmm. and being. Totally worried about those costs. Mm-hmm. So, so then we went through the route of <clears throat> um, what did we try? I we mean, tried so many things. Then we tried adopting privately through private adoption agencies, and there, there's there's um, a high cost with that, depending on where in the country you are, and what agency you go through. We're writing a paper about that and the average cost. A domestic infant adoption, so adopting a child that's an infant from the United States on average is $39,000. Oh my god. And that's just average. So, of course, there's prices that are lower, but and those prices and costs in many cases are going to lawyers and they're going to social workers and all very needed professions. So, I don't doubt um, that those costs go to important services. Sure, but sure. the cost for the adoptive couple can be pretty outrageous. And thinking that these infertility services and adoption services are never covered by insurance. Never. Um, IVF, it, well, there's like four states, maybe between four and eight states, I think the last time I checked, which was a couple of years ago, that uh, cover IVF. Oh. Illinois is a state that covers that a uh, mandates by state law that the insurance co- companies cover IVF, to but they might not cover all of it. They might cover only one cycle and not up to the three cycles recommended. So in many, in the majority of states, we could say to be safe, IVF isn't covered. And so there's those costs, and then adoption are those costs. And so for us, we ran into it saying this is just going to out, outprice us. We're right. just not able. to And then I sorry I could go on and on. But in addition, um, I think there's a misconception that there's a lot of available children that Mm -hmm. they're just just waiting children waiting for adoptive families. Um, And I think that's true in foster care. I think that's true. But according to the CDC, Um, There is one waiting child. There is one child for every six waiting families. Really? There's, you know, on average, six waiting families for every adoptive child that becomes available in the private system. Oh my gosh. You're right. There is a huge misconception. And you could be waiting a long time. Like we were, we tried the private system and we're waiting like at least two years without a call. For real? Two years without a call? Yeah. And so then, you know, by a series of sort of small miracles, we got involved in the foster care system and very quickly were placed with our two children, relatively quickly placed with our two children. And, you know, they weren't newborns, but they were ours and, yeah. and they were precious and we accepted them and embraced them. So it's tricky. So the whole world of infertility, I think, is fascinating. It's it's so such an emotionally charged field because for the, um, couples, you know, either men and women or, uh, um, same sex couples who desire children, it feels like the wait is forever. I bet.
0: So would you say your, what was your experience with foster to adoption? Would you say it was overall positive? Was it up and down? Like, what would you say about that?
1: Well, if anyone was ever considering it, I would just want to talk to them and cheer them on. And just, it it was one of the most eye-opening experiences. It was sobering in a way that I had never experienced because, um, so, you know, through the Foster to Adopt program, which is through generally state Department of Child okay. Service, they're working with families to try to reunite a child that has been removed with the biological parents. And that's by mandate. They have to for a certain number of months in Indiana, it was for at least 16 months. They had to reunite and get the biological family to a place where they could reunite with their child. And if not, then they were looking for, um, Kin. they were looking for relatives to adopt that child, and then kind of the third option is to look for these kind of outside, external families. Um, and so it was sobering, you know, like you're 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 caring for these child, these children or these this little child, knowing that the, everyone around you is working to take that child from you and take them back with a biological parent. And that biological parent you have a lot of like love in your heart for that child or for that um, biological parent I mean and I, I guess I should only speak from my experience like in my experience uh the biological parent was a wonderful woman the one that we got to know um the other biological parent of my other daughter uh, wasn't available to get to know but the one that I did get to know she was in foster care herself. She had been victimized as a child herself. And, you know, like there were so many failures of the system to care for the biological mom that it was no surprise when the biological mom wasn't equipped to be a mother herself because she had been failed time and time and time again. And so there is a lot of, like, I think compassion that you can learn and that you're exposed to mm-hmm. in getting to know biological parents. And there's so much stigma, you know, like it's so easy to blame the biological parents and say that you're not capable of taking care of your child or you chose drugs over a biological child. Yeah. But it's rarely that simple. In fact, there's I so much to yet. the story. Yeah. yeah. There's so much more to the story. So for us, it was just humbling and it was sobering and it was beautiful and it was heartbreaking. and that at our little, girl, our oldest girl's adoption hearing, the biological mom actually showed up. Can you think, can you imagine that? The biological, <gasps> like voluntarily showing up that her biological child was being adopted by another couple, like I, I wrote about it in my journal and I called it jaw-dropping love. Like that's just jaw-dropping love to me.
0: Um, oh my gosh, what was that like to have her there?
1: Oh, it was beautiful. You know, it was like so beautiful to be able to one day share with my daughter the idea that all of these supportive adults were supporting you. Everyone, all of these supportive adults said, you know, this is the best place for you. And your biological mom, you know, beautifully, with, beautifully said, this is where she chose to have you raised like i i think it just shows incredible immense love
0: wow what an experience yeah. so did she choose you as adoptive parents or were you kind of chosen for her in a sense yes
1: it would be that one but okay. we were state, okay. you know through their criteria had chosen us and called us and asked us if we wanted to foster our daughter, yeah. our foster daughter at that time. And then, so we kind of just got chosen by the state. And then we were later introduced to the biological mom who um, didn't have a choice in us, but I mean, she, she got us whether yes. she Yes. Do you still
0: have like a relationship with her, have contact with her?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We see her on Facebook and maybe once a year we get together in person. And, you do. Uh-huh. yeah we wow. get to get person, and I, I mean, yeah yeah i mean I mean like i said i can 't speak to everyone 's experience, sure. I'm sure that some people have experiences that are much more difficult where it 's like pulling teeth to get the foster child that you 've loved and cared for to stay in your care because there can be these really ugly custody battles where biological relatives or the biological parents aren 't really willing to relinquish. But in our case, it was just like a two-year process of the biological mother, our, our our dear biological mother, just slowly realizing that that she wasn't going to be equipped to do it and then taking her time to relinquish her rights and wow. taking her paper, the papers, which was fine. You know, I wouldn't want to rush anyone. But in that. two years, that's a
0: long time for you to be kind of like in limbo, waiting in I bet that just pulls at your heartstrings and what an emotional time I bet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so easy to talk about it now because it all is settled, you know, but at the time I remember there was an experience where the judge decided that more rather than just a two hour visit per week, with, uh, between our foster daughter and the biological mom, they wanted to increase it to three hours a week. And I remember that that was really hard for me because um, it was like an hour to get to the visit, three hours there, and then an hour home. So it was oh, one day yeah. that was just, that you know, that was sort of spent doing those things. And so, there like, I remember that being really challenging. And also because the, our daughter at that time didn't know so it was, and it was at a stage where our, our little daughter didn't know why I was kind of like saying go with her like go go with yes. her it was for me and then I felt oh. that because I wasn't the oh mom you know the mom was right there and the mom went to the child so it was like this really awkward thing but mm. but wow. it all worked out and, and like I said I'm speaking from I would be sure. interested to get um, our biological mom's perspective on that to see how she viewed the whole situation right
0: what has been your experience with like helping your girls through trauma um
1: because I'm sure
0: that they've been through some trauma from all of this
1: yeah all right so the one that we recently adopted our youngest she definitely did because she was removed from her former foster home at two years and then she came to our home. So the former foster home, there were problems of abuse in that oh home and gosh. so the state found out and the state quickly stopped the license, stopped placing children in their home. I think they're serving time in prison and then all of oh those Oh my the former home moved that into the home. Poor little girl. Yeah, so she, just in the middle of the night, you know, at 1 or 2 a.m., we went to pick her up at the local DCS office and then brought her home, and and it, it was like, I remember that first night she was sleeping, she was sleeping in my bed with me, and we both were just looking at each other, you know, trying to sleep, and then looking at each other, like trying to sleep, and then just looking at the other person, because... Can you imagine all of a sudden like a two-year-old child oh. speaking from everything that you've known and then placed in this strange car? But she, she like those first few months, she, it was like every time she woke up in the morning, it, it hit her with the realization that she was in this strange home with strange people. My husband is a Spanish speaker, speaking a strange language. Like, yeah. But then after six months goes by, maybe six or seven months, she she didn't seem to wake up with a heaviness anymore. Oh. She didn't seem to wake up with this longing anymore. And, and we sometimes show her, we'll show her a picture of her former foster parents or uh, the former home. And she doesn't, it doesn't look like there's any recognition. Really? I so talk to like a child development expert to know if they're capable of recognition, but there doesn't seem to be any spark of recognition. Wow. So, so, she just, and it, m- my older child loves l- their sisters in every way. They're not biological sisters, but they love each other. And I feel like my older daughter just embraced her, just the same person. And that helped in ways that I couldn't have done. Like I sure, remember sure. one night, I'll share a story with you. I think it was the first, might've been that first week I was trying to put her down in her crib which was right next to my other daughter's uh, crib. And it was cribs where one side had been taken off so they could get down, you know, and, and so they could get out by themselves. Anyway, my little girl, the new one, didn't want to sleep in there and kept kind of whimpering, crying. And for the first week, my older daughter came into the crib and slept with her, you know, brought her pillow and her blanket and cuddled up. And when my older daughter came in and slept with my new daughter, they just cuddled up together. They just totally cuddled up like two little kittens. Like they cuddled up and the whimpering stopped. But it was like, I couldn't have stopped that whimpering. Like She still would have whimpered with me. But the fact that another two-year-old child knew to comfort her new sister, I didn't ask my other daughter to go and comfort her. She knew somehow instinctively, instinctively. to get out of bed and to curl up and to get right there next to her and that that was the comfort that they needed. Like, you know, incredibly beautiful.
0: Jean, thank you for sharing that story. That is just, oh, being a mom myself too. It's like the power of siblings. And right. love that think like you were saying things you couldn't do yourself to help yeah, them.
1: Exactly. Well, and how definitely.
0: beautiful that they've come from totally different families and backgrounds and have found a way to become sisters.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. And they know that they're adopted, and they they kind of talk about when am I going to get sealed in the temple? You know. Something.
0: Oh, they know that they're adopted. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, I love that, that, and they have a photo book with pictures of their biological parents, and so like they'll know oh, that's my birth mom, and that, and you're my mom, and that's my birth mom. You know, I, I, they're not able to kind of distinguish yeah. what that means, but they know that they, they weren't in my uterus, that they were right. in another uterus, and, and so you're well, and spirit.
0: I think one of the most beautiful pictures that you've ever shared was the day that you were sealed to. Your yeah. first daughter, um, yeah. you were all in white, and um, I just remember just like tearing up and being like, "This is the power of like social media." You know, being a social media person, it's like when we can share beautiful moments and 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 sharing each other, like feel that love for each other and be, being so happy for you, but being far away, like that was just such a beautiful picture. Like all three of you were just like glowing. It's absolutely glowing.
1: Oh, thank you, Alicia. I love that picture too. That was a really special moment. I remember writing on that post something about, it was amazing to me that three people who didn't know each other now never have to live without each other. Amazing to me. It just kills me. Yeah, like these, you know, three souls in the world, you know, three separate souls and now four separate souls. All of a sudden, could come together to form a family and a forever family like that was it still makes me marvel like the beauty of adoption that we can take different people and say you're going to become a family now I just I love that that's amazing heartbreak right like another quote that I really like is it says and I'll try not to mess it up but it says like um uh, a little girl calls me mommy, like uh, another, uh, it says another mother's daughter calls me mommy, like the magnitude of that blessing and the depth of that tragedy is not lost on me. Like that's how I feel another woman's daughter calls me mom. Like, you know, the magnitude of that blessing is incredible, but the depth of that tragedy that, that, uh, that at birth mom couldn't care for her child you know a tragedy not to stigmatize like blame game but a yeah, tragedy that, right like I think it's always important to recognize that I read something about that that every time that. an adoption happens you have to you have to acknowledge that it was built on ashes you yeah, know that it was built on someone's tragedy
0: oh my gosh Jean that makes me want to just like be better as a parent like I yeah, it, mm-hmm. part of me wants to go into that mom guilt and be like oh my gosh and I yell at my kids and I scream at my kids and I da, 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 da. but just yeah. being able to stop and be like wow like when I when I start like moaning about my issues like just to put things into perspective like
1: mm-hmm.
0: you sure. know it makes you appreciate yeah. and maybe treasure more yeah. your sure. own struggles and your own things you've been yeah. given you know
1: Right. And it's a good reminder for me too. It's good to hear you reflect on it too, because I'm like, Oh, I I can yell too. I can be
0: <laughs> we could all yell. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that we keep trying, you know, that's huge. And I think that's right. powerful too. When we share our stories mm-hmm. is being able to say, you know, I'm, we're relatable. We're all mm-hmm. as women we all have common threads, you know,
1: Absolutely. we
0: yes. all have, you know, the, the, the women's guilt and the, yes. the multi, you yes. know, our brains can do multiple things yes. and we yes. have yes. so many roles and so many things yes. to juggle, but like, yes our stories can bond us together,
1: you know? Absolutely! Oh yes, absolutely. I love that idea of like building stories, building empathy through stories. Ooh, you know, like,
0: I love that. I have to write that down. That is beautiful. Yeah. Building well, empathy was, through stories.
1: Yeah. And kind of what you were talking about with like the good side of Facebook, being able to um, share stories, like real authentic stories mm. through Facebook and build empathy across social media or across any story that is shared that that you can because we're all in such different s- situations or circumstances but I like how you were talking about that there's common threads and if you can build on those common threads and use them to build empathy with each other. I
0: love that. Really
1: powerful.
0: Well and especially during this time of you know COVID-19 and right. the world like shutting down essentially mm-hmm. and having to re- learn how to function (laughs) um I have been so impressed with the stories that have come out of empathy Mm -hmm. and like the people that have learned to like pivot and and help instead of like like intrinsically we want to go in because we're afraid but being able to push outward and share with love I think that's been absolutely one little good that have has come out of all of this
1: I, I have loved that too. Every story that I hear of that, I think is really like, I always want to pay special attention of people like setting aside fear, setting aside selfishness, right. being bigger than themselves. Like that's what you get to see in crises, which is neat.
0: Well, and I love to, like my mom was saying the other day, she's like, you should keep a journal because unlike mm-hmm. Jean, My journal skills are struggling, but I, um, she's like, you should keep a journal of this crazy time. And I was like, oh no, the memes will speak for themselves. (laughs) I feel like the memes that have come out of this and the humor, like that Um, is part of survival too, is being able to laugh together and
1: cry together. And yeah. Oh, totally. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Well,
0: and I distinctly remember laughing and crying with you in college. (laughs) Well, and we have to, like, I remember when you put the, the light bulb above your bed hanging from a string.
1: Yeah. Well, what was the story behind that? Was it because that, like, signified good ideas?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it was, like, finals week or something, and you were trying to get some kind of inspiration or ideas <laughs> or energy, and so, like, we went into your room, we're like, Gene, <laughs> and it was, like, this light bulb hanging, and I was like... I love that, like, we had the funniest times, like, there was, there was our, the Ken doll, that Yay. sometimes we would find the Ken doll yeah. on the, on the counter with a gun to his head, yeah. and we knew you were having a rough day. <laughs> okay, that was the best, that was the best. Didn't you end up giving the Ken doll away to someone in Brazil?
1: Yes. Okay. you're good you should like write an addendum to my journal details
0: memories from alicia (laughs) i think think you gave you took your ken doll with you when you went to brazil yes as a missionary right yes and i feel like Someone needed him somehow.
1: Yes, I I, I wish I could remember. Maybe I have it in my journal. So let me like do a prologue to this show and I'll give you more details about what happened.
0: (laughs) I'm vaguely remembering something to do with she was learning how to like live without her boyfriend or something. And like somehow the Ken doll brought her some, some much needed comfort. Yes, exactly. Okay, <laughs> I'll go check that. you a great memory. That, that was a gift of love.
1: Yeah, you know, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, I love was, that. And then there was something with Coriantumar, right? That's yes, I think that was his name. Is that I what think you mean?
0: named him Coriantumar.
1: Yeah. Well, and then I think
0: there was a time when we felt like the gun to the head was a little violent. So I think yeah. we put like a gummy in his hand or something, but like, <laughs> the gummy signified like stress. <laughs> so many good moments. Like there were so many, I, f- I remember a lot of all-nighters.
1: Yes. I remember that too. And in- our Hillcrest. Is that yes, where we
0: were? Yes. In, in our
1: little apartment.
0: Oh but God. I don't think they were nice. Like, looking back, I, I don't, I think they were pretty, like, shoddy. But at the yeah. time, we felt like they were nice because they had a fireplace or something. I don't
1: know. Right. Exactly. But do
0: they I think they do. I think they, they do. Think oh, they do. Last yeah. time I was in Rexburg. And they, um didn't we, I think we took an anthropology class together. But we weren't in the same class, but we had the same teacher. And so mm-hmm. I do distinctly remember us trying to work on our projects late at night and like trying to throw things together.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I remember that too. Oh, yes. I remember. Yeah, totally. I mean, I can see it all in my head. I can see the right. hallway bathroom. Wasn't there like a hallway bathroom? Yes.
0: And yeah. do you remember our tribal screams?
1: Yes. so oh, how can I just
0: okay i think when things got bad we would all leave the house and huddle in a circle and just like let out a yell
1: and erin erin hatch would be i remember she loved tribal screams yes
0: tribal screams oh man those were the days right when our only worry was like passing a class and trying to date a boy right
1: exactly and now look at us and I still don't think I would go back to that stress though.
0: No, you're right.
1: <laughs> like it, was, it was definitely more minor, but it still is not a type of stress. <laughs> <I wouldn't, laughs> <I would. laughs>
0: it's true. You're right. You're right. There are some benefits to growing up a bit.
1: Yes, yes. I'll, we'll live it through it with our daughters. Though.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Have, we'll strongly encourage them to room together. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I, when they get to the edge, we'll be like, we have the perfect roommate for you. <laughs> well, Gene, well, thank you so much for being willing to be on the show and just sharing your story and sharing just part of your journey.
1: Really oh, appreciate my it. My pleasure. Alicia, like I've said, you have such a gift. You're an excellent, excellent conversationalist. You've, You're so nice. No, you know, you've put me up a few notches, and it's been really fun. <laughs> You're the
0: best, Gene. Thanks so much. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks for joining me on Pink Girl Podcast. Tune in next time.